Welcome to the Artisan CEO, where the art of photography meets the business of profits. This is where strategy and craftsmanship coexist so that you can run a creative business that supports a life you love. I'm your host, Abby Grace, and I promise to give it to you straight. If I were sitting down to build this business from scratch, how would I do it? I think about that question a lot, especially as I've watched a few friends of mine have their Instagram accounts hacked and then their entire following vanish overnight. So if I had to start over, not just with social media, but if I had to start this whole thing over as a brand photographer without losing everything I've learned over the past dozen years in business, where would I start? I began my business during my senior year in college. You may have heard me tell the story in past podcast episodes, but I started my business because I love photography and I love people, and I wanted to have as many people in front of my lens as possible. At the beginning, I definitely qualified as an artist who happened to get paid for their work, not so much a serious business owner. My background is in communications, my degrees in PR. I did not major in business management, never took a finance class, any of that. I majored in PR, stumbled upon photography, spring semester of my junior year, and decided that I wanted to make a business out of it. I knew from the beginning, well, almost the beginning, that I wanted to do this full time because the thought of sitting in a corporate office for the rest of my life felt suffocating. Once I discovered photography, I could not see myself sitting at a desk working for somebody else anymore. I remember being in the dressing room at a Macy's in, I think it was Dulles, Virginia. Um, It was a couple of weeks before I started my first and only desk job. And I was there to buy some clothes for work. I didn't, I mean, I was coming straight from college. I didn't own a pair of dress pants. And I remember standing there in the dressing room, looking in the mirror at myself in a black skirt suit, and it brought me to actual tears, sitting there crying in the dressing room because I didn't want that. I didn't want the boardroom life. I wanted a job that allowed me to be creative, that let me use my gifts in a way that only I could do. But I also needed that corporate job while I figured out how to make money with photography in a sustainable way. And truly, I am so grateful for the time that I spent at that desk job because it taught me a lot about professionalism and accountability and drive. So I gave myself two years to make it happen, which meant that I had to learn and I had to do it relatively quickly. I had to learn how to run a business that could make predictable, sustainable income after having absolutely no degree in entrepreneurship, nobody in my family owned their own business. So I was kind of making it up as I went along. I started my corporate job on June 7th, 2010. And my hope was that within two years, I could build up enough momentum to take things full time. And on June 1st, 2012, I turned in my laptop and my badge and I walked out the doors of that office six days shy of two years as a full time photographer. It was a tough two years. I'm not going to mince words about that. I lost a lot of sleep. And if I had had a plan other than just replace my corporate salary, I think I could have done it without quite as many late nights as I did. Those two years looking back felt very patchworky. Like I was only ever working with the very next step in mind. I didn't have a big picture plan other than, again, replacing my income. And I knew how many weddings roughly I needed in order to do that. So that meant that the business side of things was really reactive and that the business side lagged behind the growth that I was seeing as a photographer and an artist because my goal was just to make enough money to replace my corporate income. So why does that matter if I eventually succeeded in my goal of leaving my desk job? 
because I could have left that desk job with a much firmer foundation than just, well, let's see where this goes. <laughs> if I had totally bombed and my business went under, Matt and I at that point in time didn't have any children. We were living in an apartment at the time, so we could theoretically, like we didn't have a mortgage, so we could theoretically have moved in with one of our set of parents if things went very poorly. Like, was that ideal? No, but we wouldn't have ended up on the streets, right? So it was a relatively low risk in that regard. But on the other hand, we were still paying off school loans. And on the day that I turned in my notice with my boss, I gave my boss seven and a half weeks of notice because my manager at the time was pregnant and I wanted to make sure they had enough time to find my replacement before she went on maternity leave. So on the day that I gave my notice, we got notice that Matt's job was being dissolved, effective exactly one month after my last day at my corporate job. Side note, that was a super fun story to tell my family. Like, I'm going full time and I don't know where my income's going to come from on a monthly basis. Also, we're not really sure of like Matt's employment status as of July 1st, but I'm still going to quit my stable, predictable job. I think that our families legitimately thought I'd lost my mind. I think they were actually a lot more worried about us than they had let on, which I'm glad that they didn't let on because that would have undermined my confidence. So anyway, all that to say... I needed this business to work unless I wanted to move back in with my parents. Would that have been the end of the world? No. But I really liked having my own space. And I also really, really don't like failing. There's this line in the movie Moneyball where Brad Pitt says, he says, I hate losing. I hate it. I hate losing more than I want to win. And there's a difference. I recognize that you might be in a very different position, a very different place in life. You might be the sole earner for your family, or you might have kids already, um, other people who depend on you to make this whole photography as a business thing work for real, not just for funsies. And if you're acting like an artist who happens to be paid for your work, instead of acting like a CEO, you are in for a world of stress. Business and especially self-employment can be unpredictable, right? You know that. I know that. I don't need to tell you that. But the success or the failure of your business is way more in control than you might think. It does not have to come down to changes in the algorithm or trends in the industry. You control a lot when it comes to whether or not your business sinks or swims. And being an artisan CEO means recognizing what you can control and then working proactively, not reactively, working proactively to give your business the best chance possible at beating the odds. You know, those very real, very scary rates of small business failure and attrition. Small Business Association estimates that something like 70% of businesses never make it to their 10th birthday. I don't want you to be part of that statistic if that's not what you want to do. Listen, I have respect for people who purposefully close their business down because maybe it no longer fits their lifestyle or they have some other strategic purpose. But being forced to close your doors because you're not making enough money or you're burned out, that is not an inevitability. Real quick, photographers, are you tired of lather, rinse, and repeating the same tired collection of forgettable photos from one brand session to the next? If you're ready to turn yawn-worthy galleries into the sort of results that thrill your clients and get you both noticed, then you're definitely going to want to join me for my free training, The Backstage Secret to Scroll-Stopping Brand Photography. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or you're just getting started out in the world of branding, this session is for you. I'll teach you my number one strategy for crafting stories that resonate with your clients and their audience, which is the biggest secret behind creating galleries that not only look stunning, but also drive engagement and sales for your clients, which spoiler alert, 
is what keeps them coming back for additional sessions in the future. Because as brand photographers, purposeful matters more than pretty. But who says you can't have both? Our job is to think like a marketer and shoot like an artist. But you have to have both pieces of that equation. And learning to approach with the mindset of a strategist, that changes everything. So if you're raring to say goodbye to cliche galleries that simply repeat what's already clogging your Pinterest and social media, and hello to a method that drives brand loyalty and real bottom line growth, then head on over to abbygrace.co slash training. That's abbygrace.co slash training. It's time to leave those forgettable, smiling at a laptop photos in the dust in favor of a more tailored approach that's gonna leave your clients obsessed and already planning for their next shoot with you. One more time, that's abbygrace.co slash training. I'll see you in class. This is the challenge though of starting a creative business without a background in business development like I did. You typically do end up making it up as you go along. You're looking left and right as you're going to see what everyone else is doing, hoping you can pick up some clues and maybe some tips for success. And it can feel like groping along in the dark without a clear path forward. So if I were starting my business over from scratch tomorrow, knowing what I know now about running a business, there are four main pillars that I would focus on to make as sure as I could be that I'm building on a foundation of rock instead of shifting sand. I've got several episodes planned for the coming weeks to dive deeper into each of these pillars. I've got a lot to say about each one of these, but for today, let's just focus on the overview. I don't want to overwhelm you, and the important takeaway from this episode is not a massive to-do list of like all the things that you now feel guilty that you're not already doing, okay? The takeaway from this episode is a subtle mindset shift. I want you to go from being an artist who happens to be paid for their work and leaves the ultimate success for others to decide from that to intentional, proactive business owner who has a lot of influence over whether they sink or swim. First of all, I would work on my skills as a photographer. There's a lot of talk about personality marketing on the internet right now, and there has been, honestly, for the last like 15 years. And I'm not saying that that doesn't have merit, but in order for personality marketing to be effective, the work also has to be up to scratch. You cannot substitute good work for a fun personality or a strong TikTok following. Personality marketing, that can give you an edge when the playing field is relatively even. Like if you're being compared to three other photographers and your work is all pretty similar, personality marketing can give you an edge. I will not refute that, but it will not overcome a weak portfolio. So if I were starting a business tomorrow, I would be working on refining my skills, both as a photographer, and as a brand expert. Because as a brand photographer, both of those pieces have to be there. It's not enough to just be good with the camera. I have to also understand brand theory and marketing strategy. Side note, if you have not listened to episode five, Branding 101, go back and listen to that after this episode. It is like a crash course answering the question of like, what is branding in the first place? So there's this Steve Martin quote that I absolutely love. Someone asked him how to become a famous comedian and he said, be so good, they can't ignore you. That is what you're working towards. And I know that that is not a sexy answer and there is not a quick fix for getting good. This means putting in your hours and studying those who went before you and recognizing where your photography is not strong and fixing those areas. But this is something that started the day you decided to pick up a camera and it never ends. Working on your craft is an ongoing process. I first picked up a camera in 2009 and I still love finding new ways to get better and improve my work. Granted, the way that I continue to learn now 
almost 13 years late. No, it is. It has been 13 years since I picked up a camera, but I've been in business for 12 years. But the way that I continue to learn now, 13 years later, is certainly different than when I first started. My education dollars are spent differently and the improvements to my work are less drastic, less noticeable. But please make no mistake, I do still invest heavily in education. The second pillar to focus on is recurring structure. This is the opposite of conducting business by the seat of your pants. If you're running things in an ad hoc manner, which means responding or reacting as requests come in or issues arise, you will always be behind. You've got to get in front of things. And that's not to say that you can anticipate every issue that's ever going to arise in business because hello COVID, hello supply chain, hello darkness my old friend. But recurring structure helps to take the guesswork out of what to do on a day-to-day basis. We call these SOPs, Standard Operating Procedures. I've said this in a past episode, but SOPs mean that you are not exerting new energy to make the same decisions over and over. So for example, as a brand photographer, I have a proven process that I take every client through. My Brand Photography Academy students know it and use it, and it's not a process that I have to make really any decisions about in the moment. So a new client books, then the next step is always to have my assistant send over the client welcome guide. And after that, the pre-shoot questionnaire gets sent along with a link inside an email template with a link to schedule their strategy call and so on and so on. Same workflow for every new brand client. Taking the time to sit down and decide what the client workflow should look like one time means that I do not have to make a decision about what comes next each time a new client books. Making decisions depletes energy, and I want to save that energy each day to put towards something like a podcast interview or a sales call or a blog post. I don't want to use up a finite resource like willpower or mental bandwidth to remake the same decisions again and again. Recurring structures don't just save time and energy. They can also help create rhythm and predictability within your business. So like instead of starting each calendar year with the attitude of, well, let's just see how this ends up and, you know, hope we end the year with more money than we spent. Instead of that, with recurring systems, you're better able to forecast how much you're going to be working, where your money is coming from, and when all of that is going to occur. Having systems in place also makes it a lot easier to onboard a new employee or contractor and please take it from me. (laughs) When Matt joined my business in 2015, we had a really rough first year, maybe first two years if I'm being honest, because I had never documented any of my processes. They all lived in my head, which was super frustrating for Matt because if he ever needed to execute a task I gave him, he couldn't do it until I had time in my day to like sit down and walk him through it. And then of course I never documented walking him through it. So if he forgot the next time he needed to execute said task, he had to come back and ask me to do it again. It was poor management on my part and I did not prepare to onboard him well at all. So compare that to when we hired my assistant last fall And while there was definitely still an adjustment period, it was much smoother sailing because we did have SOPs, we did have workflows, and we have predictable structure within the business. So it wasn't just two goofballs making it up as they go along, welcoming a third goofball and hoping that everything doesn't fall apart. Instead, this time, it was two business owners moving along a track while a third member merged into the lane as we caught her up to speed. Much smoother than when Matt joined the business. Thirdly, I would pay attention to the numbers, like how much money is coming in and how much is going out. What's your profit margin? What is your average customer value? How many hours do you spend per project? And all of that. 
When you know your numbers, you can tweak your purchasing decisions and how you spend your time in order to make sure that you're not hemorrhaging money and time into that black hole of the unknown. You know, like that place that your dollars and hours go to die because you didn't realize how much time you were going to waste on a project that seemed like it would be fun, but like never actually netted you any new clients or like that lens that you wanted to buy because your favorite photographer is obsessed with theirs. But like once it's in your camera bag, it rarely sees the light of day. Guilty as charged. I've done both of those things. Paying attention to the numbers isn't just about running a profit and loss statement or a P&L. It also means understanding your KPIs or key performance indicators. See, what KPIs help you do is they help you determine whether you're on track in the moment. They help you determine whether you're on track to meet your overall intended result. They're like micro measurements as you go. Instead of like starting the year and creating all of these really grand goals and then not checking in again until you get to December and being like, oh no, what happened? KPIs help you figure out along the way so you can make micro adjustments to your approach to hopefully keep you on track to meet those big goals. For example, Every time we launch Brand Photography Academy, I know from the past three launches, because we've tracked our metrics, I know that we can rely on a roughly 17% conversion rate for our sales page. Industry standard is like 2%. I love writing, and I've also invested a lot in strategy calls with my favorite copywriter to help tighten things up. So that means for every 100 unique visitors who visit the sales page, I can rely on roughly 17 people purchasing. The product itself has been tested and validated and my sales page copy and my design is all dialed in. I've been working on it for almost two years at this point. So that conversion rate continues to hold from one launch to the next. So then my goal is to get as many people's eyes on that sales page as possible because I'm confident I can convert at that particular rate. That conversion rate knowledge it then affects like how much money we pour into our Facebook ads and how many emails we send to our list and how often I'm posting on social media. Because the alternative to knowing our KPIs is, and I've done this, I actually did this like last year. The alternative to knowing your KPIs is to set a random goal that feels good or sounds good and then feel disappointed when I don't reach it or elated when I do reach it but have no way to know why we reached that goal and thus no way to replicate the success. I actually remember... After our second launch of Brand Photography Academy, I was um, voxing with my business coach and was like, I'm so disappointed. We didn't reach my goal. My goal was X number. And she was like, I'm sorry, where did you get that goal from? And I was like, I don't know. Just like it sounded good and it like matched what we did last time. And she's like, yeah, but your numbers don't support that. Like if you look at your actual conversion numbers from the number of people you have on your list and the number of humans who saw the offer and looked at the sales page, your conversion rates are blowing past whatever industry standard is. You just need more people to see the sales page, which was enormously encouraging for me because then I didn't have to sit there and wonder, well, why didn't we make our sales goal? I knew exactly why. It was because we didn't have enough people see the sales page. It wasn't that the offer wasn't good. It wasn't that Brand Photography Academy was wasn't an amazing product. I just needed more people to see the offer, which then gave me a plan moving forward for our next launch and gave me hope instead of sitting there feeling devastated that nobody wants what I'm trying to sell. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? Knowing your numbers, as daunting as it can be, can help you make more intelligent decisions moving forward that help grow the business in the direction you're trying to grow it. So I feel like we need an amen after that, right? Like, and then I dropped the mic and I walked off the stage, but then I came back on the stage because I have one more pillar that I wanted to talk through. <laughs> so the fourth pillar of building a solid business is marketing, which also seems to be the number one area that my students ask for help. 
money and time spent on marketing can feel like it has the biggest return. Like build a big social media presence, book a bunch of clients, create a solid email funnel, sell a bunch of products. But please don't be deceived. Marketing might seem like it's what makes you the most money of these four pillars, but those other three, honing your skills, having recurring systems, and knowing your numbers, those are what build a lasting reputation. Those are what keep clients coming back for more. When it comes to marketing, if I were starting from scratch, I would definitely start social media accounts because I do think that's a way that you can gain momentum quickly. But I would not stop there. I would also start blogging and networking with other clients that I want to work with or other professionals in my niche and then possibly running a few paid ads on Facebook for super low cost. I'm talking like $5 a day. Because here's the danger with how marketing is so often approached these days. We think social media is marketing. It's like the be-all, end-all of marketing. So then people focus all of their efforts on social media and they forget about the other buckets of traffic. And then the algorithm changes or your account gets hacked and everything you built suddenly stops working the way that you were accustomed to. All of your sales were based on social media and when your social media breaks, the sales stop coming and that's really scary. So if I were marketing from scratch, I would start with one avenue of traffic, let's say Instagram or TikTok, and I would work until I felt like I found a repeatable process. And then I would add in another stream of traffic. And then I would work until I had a repeatable process for that second stream of traffic, and then I would add in another one, and so on and so on. Because the more diverse your marketing efforts are, the more likely your business is to weather the storm of a slow economy or that cursed algorithm or whatever else the 2020s want to throw at us because, frick, why not? We have been through so much already. A word of caution here. Marketing can seem like a somewhat quick fix. But if those other three pillars are ignored, you are going to find yourself two years down the road still feeling like you're struggling to tread water, no matter how many Instagram or TikTok followers you have. We have two kids. And since before our first was born, my husband Matt and I have subscribed to the philosophy of parenting for the next 20 years, not the next 20 minutes. I don't know who originally said that to me, but whoever they are, they're genius. This is how I feel about marketing. Yes, take advantage of the trends if that feels like it aligns with your overall brand vision, but do not do that at the expense of building a business that is set up to last. If all of your marketing efforts are poured into one area or one platform, you are putting your business at enormous risk. It pays to diversify your marketing efforts. This is what I call becoming an unsinkable marketing when your marketing efforts are spread out, kind of like you probably have never had a lesson on how to survive if you're walking on thin ice, but I Googled this for a private podcast I, I did back in the spring. If you are ever on thin ice and you're worried about falling through, what do you do? You lay down and you spread out your weight so that there's not too much pressure being put on one small area of ice. Same thing with marketing. Spread out your marketing efforts. You're less likely to fall through if the ice gets thin. These pillars are not all necessarily being worked on at the same time. I don't hit all four pillars every day, necessarily even every week, especially when it comes to honing your skills. For me and my business, these can be quite seasonal. The day-to-day -day of running a business can feel reactive at points, answering emails as they come in and putting fires out as they pop up. But the overall arc of business development, that is within your control. This is where you make a proactive, not a reactive effort. This is where you put your big kid pants on and move before anyone's asked you to because you know it's what's going to carry your brand forward toward the ultimate vision you've set for your business. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode 
and head over to abbygrace.co slash podcast for even more resources to help you blow your clients away at your very next brand shoot. I'm Abby Grace and I'll see you next time. Now let's go get after it, shall we?